Welcome to the School of Unlearning. I'm your host, Elisa Haggerty. I've always believed in the power of questions. They create a gap, a space where we pause and begin to challenge the world around us. Without questions, we're stuck in the trance of life, a life given to us versus one created with agency. Your journey to rethink and unlearn the norms no longer serving you begins now. Hey friends, welcome back to 5-Minute Fridays for the School of Unlearning podcast. Today's 5-Minute Friday may be a little bit longer than 5 minutes. It sort of deserves a little bit more nuance and pacing because it's a really important topic. So today I am referencing this idea of bringing your whole self to work. So years ago when Brene Brown um, burst into the scene with her famous TED Talk on shame and vulnerability and the subsequent books that she's written um, called Daring Greatly, Leading Greatly, the gift of imperfection, and more, she began priming the conversation and priming the pump and what it means to be vulnerable um, in the workplace and also just in our lives. And so Brene's definition of vulnerability, she defines it as having three things, um, taking risk, um, embracing uncertainty, and being capable of sitting with emotional exposure. That's how she defines vulnerability. And it's really good that she started to define it this way because I think a lot of people were misunderstanding vulnerability in the workplace or in schools as sort of oversharing and emotional dumping, but her definition does does give us this sense of structure. And while I'm not gonna dive too much into her definition today, what the point is, is that she primed the pump for us being real humans at work. And that's an incredible thing. It's been an incredible gift. You can see on LinkedIn, on blogs, on podcasts like this. And thankfully, you know, companies are starting to walk the walk. They're starting to pick up on the radical idea that people must come first. Um, And so again, shout out to Brene for beginning to have this conversation and prime the pump and continuing to do so. And for the many leaders who are also doing this work as well. Uh, We've seen sort of in the last 18 months in light of the great resignation uh, that people are no longer willing to tolerate work that isn't fulfilling or that is devoid of meaning. In the last 18 months, work and home life have literally merged. (laughs) There's no separation. And for many, this continues to be true. In fact, right now, I'm filming this still from my apartment in Brooklyn. And how can we not bring our whole selves to work these days or even consider that when literally um, home and work have merged? We're taking phone calls in our living rooms, our bedrooms, or maybe you're tucked away in the privacy of your closet for a group team call. We have come to realize as a society that we can't compartmentalize ourselves. And so Brene's primer of bring your whole self to work has evolved over the years and actually gotten more layered as the conversation continues. And this podcast is really to continue that conversation because it deserves a lot of nuance and unpacking from the lens in which I see this phrase play out. So as we break this open, I would like to tell you a couple of the things I think that this conversation of bringing your whole self to work has brought that I agree with. We have learned that the, you know, one of the key ingredients for workplace success is psychological safety, not just for the mental health of the team, which is always the most important metric, but for the actual business itself, the, to ensure that the business can stay afloat. Google launched um, a project called Project Aristotle, in which they set out to study their teams, all their teams throughout the company and organization for five years. And in those five years, they looked at, um, you know, what were the metrics and ingredients that made teams the most effective and most efficient. And when they came back, they found out the number one ingredient that all the teams said was the most important for their success was psychological safety. 
And that sort of alludes to this idea of vulnerability that Brene talks about with risk and emotional exposure and uncertainty, that when people can sit with that, that there is a sense of safety and risk-taking. Uh, bringing your whole self to work also brings uh, up a lot of different topics as well. This idea that we should know our colleagues as people first. Very radical, I know. You can tell often companies often in sort of the onboarding process will um, have, uh, you know, employees engage in icebreakers and team sort of bonding activities. And they do this maybe quarterly or periodically to make sure that people are staying connected. This wasn't always the case throughout industry and corporations. This is somewhat of a new buzzworthy um, process. But, you know, again, bringing your whole selves to work, companies are starting to recognize that people, not policy, is the most important thing. Um, more recently, in the last 10 years and acutely in the last couple years, companies have started to recognize uh, pronouns. And so, you know, being able to say I identify as she or her or he or his or whatever the pronouns are or they or them is a really, really huge jump forward, not only for um, people in the LGBTQ space, but for all people, you know, um, to enhance psychological safety in teams, you know, we shouldn't be identifying other people. They should be able to identify themselves. And so that's a really good sort of tactical way that we have allowed people to bring their whole selves to work. Um, and further to continue that conversation, we now often have too, in a lot of, um, you know, companies that are supporting the LGBT movement. Um, you know, a lot of companies out there are really encouraging people to, if they feel comfortable, to identify and share if they are part of the non-binary queer LGBTQ plus community, which is really radical and really amazing. Um, I'm only 37, but when I was growing up, you know, that was not even a conversation. It wasn't even a world that was available to any of us. So to know that now teachers or you know, executives or um, interns at a company can can openly say, um, you know, identify with their sexual identify their they can identify their sexual um, preference in the workplace to the degree that they want to is actually quite important. And we also have sort of another you know layer of bringing your whole self to work, which I wholeheartedly endorse this idea that you know we don't compartmentalize who we are so you know perhaps uh bringing your personal interests maybe your love for baking or your love for gardening or your love for home decor into the mix goes beyond not just an you know an icebreaker but it could be woven into how people actually solve problems you know you could imagine if you are director of a department and you really love gardening or cooking that there is some parallel between those um, seemingly unrelated tasks and how you you show up to help your team surf the waves of a really complex organizational issue. And that, again, bringing your whole self to work isn't just what you do. It's all the parallels and all the through ways that um, influence how you think and how you communicate. So there's about five or six things I just listed here that really, you know, sort of unpack and break open what bringing your whole self to work can mean. And I think that all of these are huge milestones for people teams, for organizations, for human first companies. Um, and they're paving the way for other companies to follow suit, which is incredible. Um, I'd like to take this conversation one step deeper and sort of allude to a lot of the work that I do when I help my clients bring their whole self to work. And this is really just a very curious, candid look at why we do what we do. So in my conscious leadership coaching practice, I help high level leaders recognize and shift repeated drama patterns and habits. And together we connect the dots on when and where these patterns began. 
And as we think about so much of our drive to succeed um, and our drive to do well in school and academics and, in, and of course, our work life, it's often fueled by an early sort of um, core memory that we had with our parents, our coaches, our most influential people. And we were trying to gain their approval more likely. Uh, perhaps we were looking to get control or security. And these formative memories, these core memories and influences at a young age, very often influence how and why we show up to do the work we do and the manner in which we do it. So perhaps for you, you're like the consummate hero at work. You solve people's problems. Maybe people come to you and you fix them. You even you know, get praise, you get positive feedback, you get a promotion. And so looking from the outside in, there doesn't seem to be a problem here. You've been the hero, the hero with the cape metaphorically, your entire life. And so let's unpack this a little bit. Our drive to solve and fix or ensure that all is well does come from our inner fear of not wanting others to feel uncomfortable. And I can't tell you how many times I've had leaders come to me and say they don't want others to feel badly, you know, so they repress their emotions, they repress their experience for what they perceive to be the betterment of the group. And once we dive in and we really unpack sort of their knee-jerk reactivity in these really hard moments, we find that this trait or this behavior is not new at all. In fact, it's been happening probably throughout their entire life since childhood. And so most of us have learned early on that avoiding hard things is probably a good thing. We became excellent heroes. I know I've been a great hero throughout most of my life, too, in different chapters. Um, and heroes temporarily solve things for what they believe to be the betterment of the group is. And they're solving things, though, by avoiding the hard emotion, avoiding the hard thing. And um, conscious leaders, we want them, we encourage them to actually face the, the hard thing and embrace, you know, skills and tactics like radical candor. And so a lot of leaders who want to, you know, um, drop that habit of con continuously solving for the same repeated drama pattern, they actually have to unlock and understand where that pattern began and start to build skills to, to break habits. So having um, influence, wanting to, you know, appease our parents or get approval from people early on in life is really great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it per se, but if it does continue to bleed over into our professional adult, rela adult relationships and it doesn't allow us to sort of operate consciously, it's more fueling us to be reactive, then we, we end up actually, uh, you know, ironically, we end up perpetuating more drama than we do solving for it. So some of the questions you can begin asking yourself as you examine what bringing your whole self to work means are the following. You can get out a pen and paper if you wish. I'll ask you three questions. What type of persona do you bring to work and where did this character come from? Are you positive Pam, for example? Are you the consummate hero? Are you the disruptor? Are you always the person who feels like they're the victim in the situations? And when did this character, when did you learn that this character was a helpful character for you and um, worth bringing into the mix? And the third question is, how is this character or this persona that you recognize now you're, you're bringing into your workplace, how is it serving you and how might it be holding you back? And look, as we close, I just want to say a few things. I'm not proposing that during your next team icebreaker, <laughs> you share any of this. You don't have to. But you do need to understand what bringing your whole self to work really looks like and why it matters. And yes, it's far more than sharing pronouns, although that's pivotal and important for so many people. It's more than sharing your hobbies and your relationship status. It's mapping out how and why you do the work you do. And once you see this, you can't unsee it. 
and you begin to shift the language and the habits and the behaviors that aren't serving you or anyone else anymore. And you don't have to do this alone. This is the work that I do as a conscious leadership coach. And that's why we're here on this podcast too. You can click on the show notes and set up a discovery call with me. Listen, the world does need people who can bring their whole selves to work. There's no doubt about that. My work helps you do it consciously and playfully. Hey friends, thanks for listening to the School of Unlearning podcast. You can follow us on Spotify and iTunes. Be sure to check out the show notes, complete with links and insight you won't want to miss. If you enjoyed this episode, take one minute to rate, review, and share this podcast. Because our learning and unlearning never ends, and we don't have to do it alone.